Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Dark Travels Hostess. Tonight, we are joined by my honey bunny, Jeff, as Jeff and I relive and discuss our honeymoon in Belgium. Joyous occasion. Well, you looked happy in the pictures. It was fun. The wedding or the honeymoon? All of it. All of it. Okay. So Brussels was, or well, Brussels is the capital of Belgium, and it was actually our in and out point of destination. So we landed in Brussels, and we made our way to our hotel, which was actually, in my opinion, a very hip, modern, extremely modern, very not what we're used to, and considering how old Europe is. It was a little surprising. Yeah. So, our very first meal was at a place called Le Bistro. Amazing. Yes. It was located near the subway station of... Hal de Port. Hal de Port? Yeah. I and believe it was that was what it was called. And it was right across the street the rem- of a castle part. part. Hal de Port. Right. It was a gate at one point in time for the city of Brussels. I think it. They. I think it was the second gate. So it was like the the inner inner gate, the second wall. So they had the outer wall and they had the second wall. I right. think that was the gate for the second wall. So we had a fabulous meal. Do you remember what you had? Um, no, but I remember what we. So what we did was. Is we enjoyed our meal so much there that we actually came back for our final meal in Belgium before we left. So I don't remember my first meal, but I do remember that they gave us a hot cup of uh, mint. Hot water. Hot water with mint leaves in it. Correct. Yeah, it was good. And that literally has triggered a obsession or passion for... This particular type of, they called it a, di- a digestive. Tea. 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 A, a digestive, I think is what they called it. Right. Which is just, I think it's just something you have. It's kind of like eating a mint after dinner. Right. Same thing, Same I guess. concept. So, of course, we scouted out various places in Belgium. We went to the main town square. We saw the little pissing boy. Mannequin de pee or mannequin de pee pee or something like right, that. Yeah. I don't remember what it was called. Uh, that was not what I think was the highlight of our trip. but No, but it, I think it was, for me, the highlight of Brussels because it was hilarious. I mean, to see a statue that is 
that's why people, some people go to Brussels to see that. I don't know why. It's just this little statue pissing. Kind of right. funny. But we also had the opportunity to check out other parks. And one of the first places that we actually opted to go to was the Battlefield of Waterloo. So let's talk a little bit about Waterloo and, and Napoleon Bonaparte. On Sunday, June 18, 1815, in the fields, like they're like farm fields, yeah, near Waterloo, of course, Belgium. This is literally where Napoleon met his defeat. His opposition were, of course, the British, led by the Duke of Wellington, uh, along with the the Netherlands army was there, the Prussian army was there, and they were there basically to cease Napoleon's advance through Europe. So basically, they just wanted to stop him. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Now, this battle went on for three days, and over the course of the three days, between all of these armies, and there was a total of like seven armies, but I named the country, the main countries that were present. We're talking a collective of probably of two hundred and fifty thousand men, and just over eleven thousand were left dead, and thirty three thousand were wounded. And it was actually considered to be the largest and the most bloodiest war prior to you know mm-hmm. what would become World War. One and World War Two. Now, some interesting things about this battle. People actually, like the nobility, actually came out to watch day two of this battle. Like the kings and queens, upper class, they would take their co- their coaches and ride out into the farm fields and you know watch to see. Why? They didn't have Google. They oh. didn't have television. Mm-hmm. Entertainment, I guess. The the only form of entertainment besides perhaps plays were books, and not everybody could read. Okay, that makes sense. In addition to this, it, it is actually believed that, you know, this place being saturated with blood and death is haunted. And it didn't help that, like, as people were laying in their death state, or they were already dead or dying, these filthy looters would come and steal stuff from their uniforms, their pockets, even pulling out the teeth of the dead soldiers. And if they, if the soldiers were wearing like dentures, I mean, that was a, that was a, you know, that was a prize, hazard, uh, to the point where they called the dentures that were found Waterloo's teeth there. And of course they got, these things got resold and what have you. Now, like I said before, the place was saturated with blood, but it is the British, the Netherlands, and the Prussian army that eventually win. And they, of course, put Napoleon under arrest. They sent him to the island of St. Hel- Helena. And as a means of showing who the victor is, the grand victor, they build this pyramid, if you will, of, of a lion's mound, after which the lion's helmet is named. And this lion, which is like resting on the mound, 
is pointed in the direction of France. It was actually commissioned by the King of Netherlands basically to let France know that, you know, this is where we stopped you. We're keeping an eye on you. Well, at that point in time, yes. With the lion. Of course. <laughs> Later on, you know, the French have other problems and, you know, side on the right side for both World War One and World War Two. Now, for people who are looking at this monument and love history, obviously this is a place one would highly recommend. I mean, who doesn't want to go to the Battle of Waterloo and see where Napoleon met his defeat? If you choose to go, just be aware that going up the Butte de Lyon, which is, or the Lion's Hillock or Knoll, is 226 steps. And it's very steep. And we actually We did, did it. it. It took right. us a while. <laughs> so, again, it's a place of great historic value and one of our, you know, just, I, I've been to the Battle of Waterloo. I mean, not everyone can say that. That's pretty neat. It's not, it's been developed some of the area around there, so it's not all the, like, fields, but, you know, there's, we ate at that little restaurant or we had a drink right. or something, didn't when we? When we went, it might have been at a low season because I think it was. there was not a lot of people there. Yeah. And we were able to ascertain service at that little cafe rather quickly. Yeah, it was pretty decent, too, if right. I remember right. Now... Of course, when we talk about Napoleon, there are so many uh, things that we can say. But Napoleon himself was literally surrounded by mysteries and legends, you know, just these theories and conspiracies. And one of my favorite ones, of course, involving Napoleon, is the hooded chair. Are you familiar with this one? No. So there is the, was the supposed hooded chair that brought either death or cursed somebody who ever dared to sit in it. Was it his chair? What's it had to do with the It Napoleon? was just a, a chair that was said to be haunted by previous owners. It killed previous owners. Even, I mean, not just owners, housemaid who dared to sit in this hooded chair. And he owned this chair? I don't know. No, I don't think he owned it. I think he was like, he had heard about it, decided to check it out, and he made the mistake of sitting, sitting in it. In it. Okay. Especially, supposedly, right before Waterloo. Okay. Now, in addition to this hooded chair mystery, you know, legend, the other thing that does seem to surround Napoleon is this mysterious connection. To the Little Red Man. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but Napoleon was born in Corsica. Now, Corsica nowadays, I think, belongs to Greek, Greece. Mm -hmm. But when he was born, Corsica belonged to France. And the people of Corsica were very superstitious. They believed in the concept of the devil and to fend off the devil and demons. And they were, like I said, just superstitious witches what have you. So he was kind of raised with that mentality, Napoleon was. And keeping this in mind, even in Napoleon's diaries, he talks about being visited by this little red man who would tell him things about his campaigns. He was like a prophecy. And every time 
the little red man would show up, you know, his guards would be like, who are you? No, he's busy. And the little red man would say, no, no, no. You need to tell him the man in red is here. And Napoleon would literally, like, come out to see him. This was a real person. This wasn't a... Again, this is a supposed, but it's also noted in Napoleon's diaries that he had seen the little red man. And he would call this little red man, like, the the red star of destiny, because he thought that he was doing, you know, following his true path. However, he didn't always take, the supposedly, didn't always take the little red man's advice. In fact, prime example, the little red man uh, had told him, do not try to take Russia. Well, as historians know, that was a humongous mistake. That was a, a slaughter of a campaign when Napoleon entered Russia. Either way, the point is, is that this little red man was known to be a harbinger of bad things as well. I mean, obviously, he told him not to try and take Russia, and Napoleon didn't listen. Because this same little murdered man was seen by other kings and queens of France right before national tragedies. And thus was the case with Napoleon. Napoleon, like I said, had seen him, and you know he had kept trying to tell Napoleon, supposedly, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that, or you know, it's not going to work out for you. So, either way, Napoleon falls at Waterloo, and he, of course, gets exiled to St. Helena, which the British then basically watch him for the rest of his life. I mean, they don't execute him. They don't, you know, punish him, punish him other than, obviously, removing him from his place of authority and putting him in this aisle in the middle of the Mediterranean. They didn't even, like, put him in prison or anything? Just Well, that was the prison. Just... All by himself? Yes. Yeah. Marooned him on the island. Correct. Now, in addition to visiting Brussels, in addition to checking out Le Bistro and visiting Waterloo, Jeff and I actually did a couple of extended trips to see other parts of Belgium. And one place that I absolutely fell in total love with was Bruges. In Bruges, we stayed in a hotel called Hotel Blah Blah. Very cute. Right. And I'm very happy to report that Hotel Blah Blah, again, I'm, I'm not making this up, did actually survive the COVID year mm. or COVID restrictions and is still in operation. And nice I to know. I felt like it was kind of centrally located. Well, to that part of town, I, I don't think we saw all of Bruges, we saw the, the that downtown. The main square? The, no, the, it was the old, old part of Bruges. We didn't see the city part. We saw the old part. Right, the enclosed. Yeah. Right. Old Bruges, if you will, is just wall-to-wall stone buildings, cathedrals, the bell towers, main squares, churches one of the one of the tour guides i remember told us that it pretty much hasn't been changed in like 700 years that part of town like the streets are still cobblestone i mean it's like it was pretty much like it was 700 years ago right and it was such a romantic and just nostalgic place in my opinion that i mean you can almost 
sense or f- get the feeling of just seeing, you know, medieval people coming through the streets or even the goddamn Nazis rolling their goddamn tanks through the streets. I mean, Bruges was absolutely stunning. Isn't that, is, wasn't that the place, too, where the, uh, that, that nighttime tour guide took us to the supposedly the oldest op- continuously operating windmill? No, bar or... Um, yes. It was a, ba- in a bar in Europe. The oldest continuous one. It was like 500 years 400 or years, right. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it was closed when we got there. But yeah, it was because it was late. Right. But continuously, it was, had been a bar. Correct. Like all those years. Correct. Or a pub, whatever they called it. Yes, uh, that is correct. I don't remember what the name of it was. I don't either. But uh, we did actually did a free walking tour, which is still something that they're still doing. I don't know if it was the same person because it's been like four years. But in addition to that, we, we met in the town square. And in the town square, I mean, it's just stunningly beautiful. It's everything you could possibly think of when you imagine a medieval town square. Now, in the town square, they had this beautiful bell tower. They had these beautiful churches. They even had the Salvador Dali Museum, which apparently has also survived COVID 2020. Now, we did not go into the museum. We kind of poked our heads in a little bit, but I am not a fan of Salvador Dali, so we did not go very, very much further into the museum. We did, however, have the opportunity to check out the Basilica of the Holy Blood, which was an amazingly gothic cathedral or church and supposedly had some sort of relic of Jesus Christ hidden or stored there. And if you ever go, one of the things you have to bear in mind is there's just so many wonderful crooks and crannies And if you don't know what you're looking for, or if you don't have, like, Google Maps to help you, this, the opening of this cathedral, this church, it's not really a cathedral, this church, you will miss it. I mean, it blends in with the rest of the the medieval uh, Yeah, you you don't even know what you're looking at. Correct. Correct. But it was stunning. It was almost overwhelming in how just ornate. That's the word I would use. Mm-hmm. Ornate. Now, we did also take, like he had previously mentioned, a night tour. And we learned, of course, about the most haunted house in Bruges. So here's the story. This happened in 1498. There was once a nunnery near the River Ray in the house of the Not Goods. And opposite side of the river of the canal was an Augustan monastery. And apparently one of the monks from this monastery just absolutely fell in love to the point of obsession with a young nun by the name of Hortense Dupont. And uh, somehow, someway, this monk had figured out a way to visit her or see her through an old tunnel that connected the two buildings, and he actually used it to visit with her. Now, I don't recall if he had shared that they had uh, started a relationship and maybe she changed her mind, but either way, 
he basically is like decides to he basically decides to propose to her which she declines and she tries to get away from him and that's when he you know snaps and basically stabs her to death he then carries her body and buries it and it is said that he basically dies from guilt and a broken heart to the point where it is now believed that he is searching for her. He is like this dark figure with the grim face. He is looking for her, and she herself is believed to haunt the building. That's Because, again, it still exists. And she is believed to be the snowy white figure of the building. So he's looking for her. She's probably trying to figure out how to get the hell away from him, even in the afterlife. And it is believed that both ghosts, you know, they wander until about midnight, and then they disappear. Now, if ever you go to Bruges, it's absolutely amazing. And one of the things that we did there was a food tour. Because, obviously, you know, Belgium (laughs) has some wonderful treats. And one of the things that they wanted to make sure that we all knew was it was the Belgians, not the French or Americans, who created the French fry. And we actually went to the the French fry museum. Yeah. And we had some Belgium. Belgian fries. Belgian fries. I was going to say Belgian French fries, but eh, that would have been wrong. We also, on this particular tour, had the Belgium waffles. It was a street vendor. Who was ready. Freaking amazing. Right. And although I did not try the chocolate. It was good. It was good? Belgian chocolate. Yeah, it, uh, It's the best chocolate I've ever had. And if the food wasn't amazing enough, a side note, as we were on the tour, there was a group of seniors <laughs> who were on their own <laughs> field trip. And as it turned out, there was an asshole among them who pissed off another guy who was like in a walker. These are seniors, folks. Seniors. They had to be at least 85, 90 years old. One had a cane and the other had a walker. (laughs) Yes. And they started a fist fight in the streets of, of, of Bruges. And the the person that started the fist fight got his clocked cleaned (laughs) swinging his cane and everything yes and it was quite a sight to see a bunch of old men fighting in the streets of bruises they were old too it was hilarious so uh you're bound to see anything in bruises while you're sampling the belgian fries and belgian waffles that was outside of the the chocolate chocolate museum right yeah 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 now, we'd also had the opportunity to take a train to check out Antwerp. Now, I'm going to be honest. I was not impressed with Antwerp. I didn't like I mean, I, I would like to visit it again because we didn't really see much. But we did venture off to the lake or, excuse me, the river. And there was a castle next to this, you know, very nicely done. I, I don't know. It was a, there was an art museum I remember seeing. And they had an exhibit, a Monet exhibit at, the, at that time. Right. But, but we did have the opportunity to check out that one particular castle 
whose name does actually elude me. So we cut our Antwerp day visit very, very short, and we headed to Ghent. Amazing. And I have to tell you, I really kicked myself in the pants for not having done a far better research of Ghent because we absolutely loved Ghent. And one of the, I mean, it was very similar to Bruges in the essence that everything was kind of made out of stone. But one of the fabulous stops that we made in Ghent was the Galvis. Gravestine. Was the Gravestine Castle. Amazing. Correct. And I mean, they had this, you know, torture chamber section where you just walked yeah, right next to all that these. That was so freaking scary torture devices and then you have the opportunity to even visit their basement which you just kind of felt like a lot of people died down there well yeah and i it was it was a kind of a self-guided tour so it didn't have a lot you know there wasn't somebody telling us what it is but i read some of the signs around like the chapel and it seemed like the chapel was like not just a church it was always it was used for torture chambers and they i mean it, it was just crazy the things that the happened way there. they tortured people i mean for ridiculous stuff they stole an apple or i mean it was, it was dumb sh- dumb stuff and the, the excesses it's just very you you think medieval and that they, they did it it was horrible i can't remember anything specifically but i i remember them like they had chains on the walls, and they would just stretch them like by their you're chains. Stretching chains, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was all kinds of crazy stuff. Now, unfortunately, the one thing that we do regret not seeing the Ghent altarpiece. Correct, correct. So Bruges is on the table to go back and see because it was absolutely amazing. In fact, they even had a couple of very nice, like walking par- uh, parks. Oh, yeah, Bruges, yes. Yes. And, I mean, you can just almost, you know, hear the horse-drawn carriages, you know, and feel the presence of nobility. I mean, Bruges was absolutely stunning, and Ghent was absolutely stunning. And, I mean, I think even at one point in time, uh, it was just, you just felt like you would turn around and there would be someone standing in some sort of 17th century garb or, you know, 18th yeah. century. Some very period correct stuff. Correct. It correct. was it was amazing. Uh, Ghent and Bruges both were awesome. Now, one of the places that we did not see, and this is a story that I'll close with our little trip tonight, is the story of the Lady Ghost of LaRouche. Because, of course, this is a paranormal travel place. <laughs> and I came across this story, and even I didn't see this coming. Okay. So, in the castle of LaRouche and Arden, which I'm actually not sure where that's located, but... In Belgium somewhere? Correct. Okay. It is in Belgium somewhere. Fingers crossed when we go back to Bruges, when we go back to Ghent, we'll have the opportunity to check out this, the ruins of this particular castle. There used to live a nobleman who had a beautiful daughter. Her name was Berthy, I think. And he was like, she deserves the best. My daughter deserves the best. Like every parent, 
thinks, believes. And so he decided that he would only give his daughter's hand in marriage to a winner of an organized tournament. So the best man wins, basically. Now, at this time, there was a count by the name of Count of Montiego. And as it was, he was actually engaged to the Countess Alex de Somme. Well, despite his literally previous engagement, he, I mean, he dukes it out. And he wins pretty much all of his challenges. And he's looking to be the definite winner of this tournament. But then arrives a knight in black. A mysterious small knight in black enters the contest. He's like, I'm here. This is happening. And, of course, the black knight and the count go head to head. And the knight kills the count. So the knight takes his prize, Berthy, to what's called the bridal chamber. And in the next morning, they find the black knight and Berthy dead on the cliffs beneath the bridal chamber's window because the black knight was actually Countess Alex de Somme. And she was pissed that her fiancé was literally duking it out to win the hand of another. And so legend has it that Alex made a pact with the devil that she would kill him in battle, her fiancé in battle, and have the opportunity to win to kill Berthy, who probably had nothing to do with any of this, but who knows, and in exchange, obviously, for her soul. So she kills them both, herself and this poor Berthy, and it is said that the Countess's ghost now haunts this castle. And this place apparently is open during the summertime, but it also includes a ghost performance. I'm not sure what that really means. And fireworks. So I guess when we go back, we have to go back during the summer months. Yeah, we got to check, check that place out. Sounds interesting. Right, but I mean, I didn't see the plot twist. No, that's, yeah, I would have never thought that, but I guess it makes sense. Right. Jealous broad wants to kill her fiance because he wants to try to get a the side hand chick. Of an, uh, no <laughs> he wants to ditch her for this chick oh boom-boom. he's gonna ditch her i did maybe i thought maybe he wanted him to try to have them both no oh no. he was ditching her yes oh i get it now yeah so you know don't be get warned. any ideas i'm telling you be warned mm-hmm. so you're already married mm. you're already hitched so that is our story tonight of our honeymoon, well, part of it, because we also went to the Netherlands, but that's a different country, and we did different things there, obviously. But that is our story. That is our episode tonight. On to business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. We have a Facebook page. If you are curious or interested and would like to join, send me a request. It is private, but people have been able to find it. But in the meantime, if you have a place that you would like to see where their dark corners are or have a ghost story with a twist that you'd like for us to share, send me a request at where dark corners are at gmail.com. Final thoughts, husband Jeff? I want to go back to Bruges and Ghent. Yes, completely. All right. So until next time.
please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are. Thank you.